Welcome to another edition of the Baseball America College podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. It is May 13. We are down to just a couple weeks before Selection Monday, which means that we are fully into the stretch run here in college baseball. And we have a new top 25 over at BaseballAmerica.com. And we're going to break that down and we're going to talk about uh, that stretch run leading up to conference tournaments, which for the most part start next week. So to break down the new top 25 and that stretch run as we head into conference tournaments, we have Dave Serrano and Joe Healy here today. So welcome uh, welcome to the show, guys. Thanks, Teddy. Glad to be back for another week, another exciting week leading into getting closer to postseason. Yeah, best time of the year in college baseball. Uh, it's a whole lot of fun and ready to talk about it. Awesome. So this weekend around the country, uh, we had some big-time rivalry series, and we had not too many upsets in those rivalries, but the, there were a few shakeups to the top 25. Not at the top, though. UCLA remains number one, ninth straight week for the Bruins uh, at number one. The top five completely stayed the same. So that's, uh, that's UCLA, Vanderbilt, Stanford, Arkansas, and then Mississippi State. We have two new teams in the top 25. They are Dallas Baptist and Fresno State. They're winning their conferences. Uh, DBU swept into first place in the Missouri Valley, and Fresno State all but clinched the Mountain West this weekend with a series win against second-place San Diego State, and they'll look to finish up uh, that regular season title this weekend. Uh, So those are your two new teams in the top 25. I mentioned we had some rivalries, and I was pretty excited about them a week ago. Uh, We had Mississippi State visiting Ole Miss. We had Stanford uh, going across the bay to to take on Cal. We had Bedlam with Oklahoma and Oklahoma State going at it, and Oregon playing Oregon State. And ultimately, all the ranked teams in in those series won, but they were still uh, some, some some exciting games in those rivalries. And I want to especially talk about both Mississippi State's win and Oklahoma State's win. Uh, because in those two series, those two teams have kind of dominated the rivalry in recent years. Mississippi State went to Ole Miss, swept the Rebels in Oxford for the second straight time. I believe that's the first time uh, in, in that rivalry's history Mississippi State has swept back-to-back series in Oxford. And now over the last four years, Mississippi State is 14-2 and two against Ole Miss. Uh, that four years not coincidentally spans Jake Mangum's career. So what what do you guys make of Mississippi State's dominance both this weekend uh, in, in a series that probably secured Mississippi State as a top eight overall seed and over the last few years? I mean, this is a Mississippi State team that has endured a lot of changes in those four years, four different head coaches involved in that, uh, a lot of different players coming in and out. You know, just what, what, what do you make of uh, what the Bulldogs did this weekend and, and over the last few years there? Teddy, and I, I think it's pretty remarkable when you look when you look at it, especially coming in to this weekend. And I know it's been a stretch of of a run on for Mississippi State, but but this weekend especially, it was a big weekend for both teams. Both teams are are pushing to get up into the into a top eight seed, a, a host site. And again, Mississippi State uh, does what they've done over the last few years, and that's, you know, play great baseball and sweep. What I thought, what I said last week, was a team that I thought was really on the rise in Ole Miss, and they swept them going away. And I think it's, I know uh, it, you, the, the thing you said that was remarkable, is it's been done by four different coaches. Uh, Jake Magnum has obviously had an impact on it, along with the other players there. But I think it's just an amazing run of the success they've had over coach Bianco's team and the Ole Miss rebels with, which in all four years have had a good program, a very good team. And, and, you know, sometimes it, it, you know, in baseball, sometimes it becomes a mental thing. And obviously Mississippi state has the mental edge right now. I don't know if they have the physical edge completely. I think uh, Ole Miss has really good players, but right now it's come down to, to mentally that, that Ole Miss is probably doubting whether they can beat, Mississippi State and Mississippi State goes into every series, whether it's home or away against the Rebels and, and thinks when they put their uniforms on, they're believing they're going to win and they have come out on top. But I think it's pretty remarkable run by, by the Bulldogs because um, of their success over them. Yeah, I mean, on paper, that's this is the one that doesn't make a ton of sense just because for the reasons that you guys laid out there, I mean, there's been so much chaos may be a strong word, but just so much going on in that Mississippi State program with the four head coaches and, and the way in which they changed coaches from Canizaro to Henderson as the interim. And 
Um, you know, there's there's not only that, but there's also been years where Ole Miss has had the more talented team. There's been years when Mississippi State's had the more talented team. There's been years when Mississippi State was super short on the mound. There's been years where they, like this year, where they're led by a couple of big arms in the rotation. There's, you know, been years where Ole Miss's offense is better than Mississippi State's offense. I mean, really, there's, there's not a lot of linear progression in this rivalry in terms of um, one team necessarily being better than the other over any given period of time, and yet Mississippi State just continues... Uh, to dominate it. And perhaps as time has gone on in these last four years, um, I think it is less of a surprising thing this year that Mississippi State pulled off what they did. And, and not just because this Mississippi State team is better than this old Miss team, all that is also true. I think what has come out of all that um, tumult they've had is that I think you've got a pretty tight knit group who knows who they are and plays for each other um, because they had to, because there was so much up in the air about who was going to lead them. And, and you know, um, you know, the, the constant was the players and that team being together through all of that. And I think that is being expressed now in this team who uh, is playing pretty well and has been through the ringer and is, you know, kind of knows not to get too up or down. And I'm not so surprised with the result this weekend because of that. Um, but over the last four years, it's just kind of been incredible. I mean, between, you know, what they've been through and then, you know, two years ago, their pitching staff was you know, kind of hung together by bubblegum and bailing wire. And, you know, they still managed to get it done. So through all of that, they've been able to dominate the way it is, is, is one heck of a feat, even if maybe this year specifically uh, wasn't necessarily the biggest surprise that they had that much success. Yeah, I mean, the, this weekend especially was kind of backbreaking for Ole Miss. They, uh, they really took an RPI hit. A week ago, we'd had them as a regional host, the last one in the field and now this week I, I don't think they're they're gonna be projected as a host and they have a tough series coming up at Tennessee to to close out the SEC regular season and they're just gonna be trying to recapture some of that momentum. And I mean this was a team that had only lost six games at home all season coming coming into the weekend and uh Mississippi State cut right through the Rebels and I you know it, it's just kind of remarkable to see what they've been able to accomplish over the last four years, but right now Mississippi state is playing probably as well as pretty much anyone in the country. And, um, you know, they lead the nation with 42 wins now. And I mean, it's, it's just been uh, a rather impressive run, especially of late for Mississippi state really since that Arkansas series, they've been, uh, they've been going absolutely red hot and they responded really well to that. So they're, uh, they're looking good. And then I also mentioned Oklahoma state there uh, wins, wins the Bedlam series uh, they uh, they did not sweep. They won two, the, the the Friday game. Oklahoma came back on Saturday, and then Oklahoma State goes into Norman on Sunday. It's a it's a traveling series. Starts in Tulsa, moves to Oklahoma State, and finished in Norman this year. And, and Oklahoma State goes goes into Norman and finishes the series win uh, on Oklahoma's home turf, which uh, I thought was especially impressive. And now the Cowboys are 24 and seven against Oklahoma under coach Josh holiday. Uh, that, that stretches, I believe it's seven years. And I mean, that's a, a, a rather impressive run as well. Oklahoma state has been the better program throughout that time. They've been to Omaha. Uh, Oklahoma hasn't, you know, during that, that stretch, but, uh, you know, that's still traditionally a really tight rivalry and it's kind of been anything, but, uh, with, with Josh holiday at the helm and, now, like Mississippi State, Oklahoma State th this weekend really kind of went a long way to solidifying itself as a regional host. They're up to 30 and 17 overall and 12 and 9 in, in the Big 12 with a, a big series at home against Baylor coming up this weekend. And, and Oklahoma, meanwhile, is really staring at the wrong side of the bubble. They're down to 31 and 20, 9 and 12 in the Big 12. And, and so the Sooners now have some work to do. Um, you know, both in, in this final week and, and then maybe uh, maybe in Oklahoma City for the uh, Big 12 tournament if they can't get it done this week at Texas. So uh, the Cowboys capitalized on that momentum that they built a week ago with their sweep at Oregon State, and you know they're they're rolling. I mean, what 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 do you guys make of uh, what the Cowboys were able to accomplish this weekend? I think what they, I think they did what they had to do again, Teddy. I think coming off of last weekend, uh, the big sweep out in Corvallis, I think they they continued their momentum. This is they've got a stretch now coming up this weekend. Uh, they got a great a big series against Baylor. Uh, that you know right now, 
you know, they've got there's some games away from the from the conference championship outright and in, in the season championship, but you know, they're playing for a possible regional host and, and they're they're playing good baseball at the right time. This is a big weekend for them, but I think they've put back to back big weekends. And going off that rivalry thing as you were talking, Teddy, I was thinking about because we're talking about two that have been lopsided, but you look around the country and you kind of wonder where some of these rivalries of the evenness have gone. You go across the country to Oregon State and Oregon, and, and the Beavers have owned that for, for many years, whether it was Coach Casey or now Coach Bailey. They've, they, uh, they've owned the, the Ducks in that series. You go to down into the Florida State, Florida versus Miami, Florida versus Florida State. Florida's owned that one. Out in California, Cal State Fullerton, Long Beach. I know they're both having down years, but Cal State Fullerton has, has really taken over the reins of that rivalry. So it's kind of funny to see how lopsided some of these big rivalries around the country have been one-sided uh, over the over the last few years. Yeah, th- this rivalry with, with OU and, and Oklahoma State, at least on, in my estimation, makes a little more sense just from the standpoint of this series is always towards the end of the year. Um, and it, it's my estimation, I don't have the data in front of me, so maybe this is, is wrong and, and one of you guys may, may tell me that, but it feels like one of the, the hallmarks of Oklahoma State under Josh Holliday is they, they typically kind of get going uh, later in the year and play pretty well and run to the finish line. We've seen it in the past. Um, I'm remembering the year a couple of years ago when they, they came in, I think it's Big 12 tournament as an eight seed, ended up winning the thing. Um, last year's not a great example. They faded a little bit down the stretch when they, they could have won the Big 12 regular season title, but that was a team that overachieved. So I guess you could make maybe a similar argument there. But So it's just not great timing for Oklahoma <laughs> that they're catching Oklahoma State and Josh Holiday at, at kind of at that time of year because it does feel like Oklahoma State kind of makes a habit out of uh, finishing well. So that's that's certainly part of it here. And, um, you know, this weekend was uh, what, what uh, you know, I, I described in the, the – um, in the recap in the top 25 recaps in Oklahoma state talking about their win on Friday, that um, this was kind of tradition, a traditional Oklahoma state win. And I, I would call it the Oklahoma state starter pack in 2019. They get a complete game from Jensen Elliott and they get three solo home runs in the first inning. Um, and that's going to kind of be Oklahoma state. I mean, Jensen Elliott, if, if, if they're going to stay on schedule in the big 12 tournament in a regional, uh, if they get to a super regional Omaha, what have you, it's, it's going to be Jensen Elliott giving them that type of outing to start the weekend off because while they have gotten some guys come around on their pitching staff and it's not maybe a situation where they're, they're paper thin anymore. Uh, certainly their success in the mound is predicated on Jensen Elliott, giving them at least giving them innings in that first game. And so I think we saw that again, Friday that, that, that they should have confidence that it's going to be like that moving forward. Um, Oklahoma, by the way, you mentioned them kind of being on, on the bubble and that is absolutely true. Uh, they finish off with Texas, which, I guess in some respects it's good news for them just because, at least on paper, Texas is really struggling right now. They, that, that provides an opportunity for them if they sweep, for example, to really kind of get back in that mix. Maybe even if they win two or three to get back in that mix. But the other side of that coin is, you know, Texas right now is not in the Big 12 tournament. And it's a big ask because they really haven't been playing well. So there's not a lot of suggestion they, they could do this. But if Texas sweeps um, and everything else breaks right, Oklahoma might end up out of the Big 12 tournament altogether. Um, they are not 100% safe right now. So um, now Kansas and Kansas State play each other. That's the other piece of that puzzle. So it, it doesn't all come down to the Texas OU series. But Oklahoma is in a situation where, you know, it's not just about uh, getting into regional position. Although that's the most important thing. It's also a little bit of self-preservation. If, if we even want to play in Oklahoma City, uh, we've got to make sure we at least get one of these Texas games. And, and Texas, at least in theory, is going to have a decent amount of motivation, not just a rivalry series, but playing for their baseball lives, really and truly, uh, this coming weekend. Yeah, Oklahoma has not fared well the last couple weekends. They, they were swept by Texas Tech at home a week ago, and uh, they're, they are trending the, the wrong way, while Oklahoma State is very much trending the right way. Dave, you mentioned uh, Oregon State and Oregon and the Beavers last weekend were, were stunned at Goss by, by Oklahoma State. Uh, they, they would get right uh, winning the first two games there against the Ducks before Ryan Nelson kind of shut them down out of the bullpen in, in the series finale. But uh, do, do you feel like that the, the Beavers were able to kind of get back on track this weekend uh, facing Oregon? Yeah, you know, hard to say because I, I obviously I have relationship with Coach Horton, but it was probably uh, just at the right time uh, because I think going back to that confidence factor, I think they play with confidence against the Ducks. They've got a big weekend coming up this weekend against Stanford um, with the conference title on the line in a, in a three-team race. So, yeah, they did get back on track. And, 
and maybe they'll look back at the Oklahoma State uh, weekend as a, a just a bleep on the radar. But uh, you know that was a big hit for them. It, it hit them from a national perspective. But this was good for them to get back on track this weekend uh, to win two out of three and going into a big, like I said, a big weekend series against Stanford and and um, uh, for both teams. Joe, it's uh, not technically a rivalry, I guess, between Virginia and Louisville, but they do play every year. It's the protected series for those teams in the ACC and their their cross division. Uh, And Virginia got a big time series win beating Louisville as the Cavs are now back in the NCAA tournament picture and kind of in a big way. I put them a week ago as like the last team of the next four out in the projected field of 64, but it's looking a little more real now that they uh, came up with that big time series win. I mean, just what a, what do you make of that? And especially what do you make of the fact that they were able to drop as many runs as they were on Louisville? Yeah, that was the weird part. Uh, you know, I was going to, as you were kind of talking there, that that was kind of my thought on that series was that, but gosh, I, you know, this was not the way I would have expected this series to go down. If you told me that Virginia wins it, I mean, I mean, even in the, the game they lost, they scored seven runs and off of Reed Detmers. And that's just not an easy, easy trick to pull off there, but 22 runs over the final two games. Um, you know, I think maybe it's just a team that, that kind of saw an opportunity and took advantage of an opportunity. And, and the weekend prior, I mean, they won their opener against North Carolina, then the last, last two losses in that series were by one run. So really, it feels like they've been playing well for a little while now, um, at least those last couple of weeks. And I think this is a team that, that saw that opportunity and has kind of run with it and, and realized they weren't dead. Um, and they've got, you mentioned it, they, they really kind of have it all right there in front of them. They're 12 and 15 in the ACC. The RPI is at 47 um, they've got a, a midweek with VCU and then three on the road against, uh, uh, in a rival in Virginia Tech, Virginia Tech, you know, towards the bottom of the ACC, not a, a ton to play for there, uh, but it is a rivalry series. So, you know, it's not going to be able, it's not going to be a series where they can, Virginia can come in and just walk all over them, but you really like the chances that, that, you know, Virginia takes care of VCU, then wins two or three against Virginia Tech. And that would be an interesting case. I mean, they, they probably go into Durham thinking they have a little bit of work to do at 14 and 16 in the ACC and their RPI, if they win two or three is probably going to be inside the top 45 pushing 40 because uh, VT's RPI is 62. So that's, that's perfectly fine. There's no real danger there. So if they take care of business the rest of the way, go three and one in these final four, the numbers are going to be there to where basically if they don't just go into Durham and then and look pretty bad doing it and the bubble shrinks on them. Outside of that, if they can take care of the rest of their business, I, I really like them to get in when it's all said and done, which is, you know, I mean, we, we talked offline a lot about, man, I just don't think it's going to happen for Virginia this year as recently as, you know, after that North Carolina series, they lost two or three, but now here they are and it looks like they are there's a very good chance they're going to make it happen after all. Yeah, that's a that's a young team that seems like they've kind of figured some things out late. And you know, Mike Vassell was really good this weekend, and I was just looking at his numbers coming into the weekend, and they were not very good. And uh, you know, he's a freshman, a, a highly touted freshman, and you know, we know what he's capable of. And and it seems like he maybe has has found something here late. And I don't think he's the only uh, young who that has uh, has figured things out as the season has gone along. And that, that's part of what playing young players means is that sometimes it takes a little bit longer, but the payoff is certainly big if uh, if you can get there. And it seems like Virginia is is closing in on a bit of that payoff right now. Now, we mentioned that we had two new top 25 teams this week. One is Dallas Baptist. Uh, I mentioned that they swept their way into, a, into first place in the Missouri Valley. They... Uh, had a great week going 4-0. Uh, they took care of business this weekend against Indiana State, which came to Dallas in first place in the Missouri Valley. And DBU really took care of business the first two days and then played a, a nice solid series finale to, to complete the sweep and, and to, to grab a hold of first place. They're tied with Illinois State. They have the tiebreaker, having already won uh, their series against the Redbirds. And Interestingly, DBU is now up to 24 in the RPI, and they finish out, or 25 in the RPI, excuse me, and they finish out with Southern Illinois on the road this weekend. And again, they're in first place already. So if they, if they, they're probably going to have to win out, you know, win, sweep this series at Southern Illinois, and then go win the Missouri Valley tournament. But if they do that, I think that's a team that might end up hosting. They're, you know, they, they're closing really hard here, and. Uh, the RPI's kind of always been in their favor. They're 36 and 15. 
Uh, so you're, you're talking about if they do that, they're going to have 40-plus wins. They'd have a couple of titles. They would have a very nice road record, a very nice top 50 record. There'd be a lot going for DBU. But I, I think just even if that doesn't happen, this is a very intriguing team. It's not the typical team from DBU that we've seen in the last couple of years in that they don't just mash. The, the last few teams, especially with Devlin Granberg and Derek Hall, have had some big-time bats in the lineup. And uh, DBU can hit home runs, don't get me wrong, but they, they're a little more athletic. They're running a lot more. Uh, Augie Isaacson, uh, a transfer from NAIA, uh, Friends University, uh, he's a grad transfer. He, he's just brought a kind of a different dimension to that team, and they already had some speed with guys like Luke Bandy, and that, that Isaacson got added in uh, has, has really helped them kind of develop that part of their game. And I, you know, it's a, it's a very intriguing team, and, and they have a lot of older pitchers, uh, especially guys like Martinson and uh, uh, M.D. Johnson there in the rotation. So it's a, it's a fun group. And I mean, this is a, obviously this is a, a program that, that knows what it's doing. Uh, they've made regionals, I believe seven straight years. And uh, it's uh, they're, they're rolling right now and they're, they're looking for their first uh, Missouri Valley title since 2016. I, I, I've just been very impressed with DBU, uh, especially been able to accomplish here uh, th- this last week going four and uh, against some pretty good competition. Yeah, it's an interesting team. And I think it, the construction of it, is more similar to you kind of alluded to a little bit Teddy it kind of reminds me a little more of the construction of like the 2015-2016 Dallas Baptist versus 2017-2018 those two teams like you mentioned were uh, particularly offensive and and they had some some guys on the mound but you know the ERAs were up over four and they had some starters who would give you innings but you know, sometimes you, you wouldn't be sure they'd be able to really give you a shutdown start and and this year I think one of the big keys for them has been two guys you mentioned and uh, Jordan Martinson and MD Johnson have gone from being, uh, you know, kind of veteran innings eater guys to guys that really are giving you shutdown starts now. I mean, MD Johnson eight and two with a two thirty three ERA. Jordan Martinson um, is uh, seven and three with a two ninety one ERA. And those are big leaps from where they were last year when I think both had ERAs closer to five than four. Um, and they're still kind of figuring out the third spot in the rotation. But where it's also similar to some of those past DBU teams, I think back to like when Wes Johnson was on staff with them there, that it was just a staff full of. Um, a really deep staff full of guys who could get you out in a bunch of different situations. And that's kind of what I see here where they've got a whole bunch of guys who've started a handful of games, you know, a whole bunch of guys who have been in a lot of different situations. And I think that kind of bodes well, especially when you get into a postseason situation where your pitching is, is it, unless you get incredibly lucky or you just have a really good weekend, your pitching is going to break down at some point. And then it becomes a matter of like, how deep can you go? How many guys do you have that you can throw out there? And I think this team, um, is well suited to do that kind of thing with a couple of big horses at the front, but then like a lot of um, a lot of guys kind of on the back end that they feel like, okay, this guy, you know, we'll, we'll bring in a McGregor Hines just to throw a name out there. And okay, maybe he doesn't really have it. So let's, let's turn it over to Burl Caraway. Um, let's see what he's got today. And I think that's, that bodes really well for their success moving forward. Burl Caraway is an absolute stud, and that is definitely a name to watch uh, for next year in the draft. If you're uh, if you're looking forward to that already, he's a lefty that throws in the mid 90s, and his numbers this year are kind of a joke. So he's a he's a big time piece. Uh, when you think about DBU, like Joe's saying, you, you think about uh, those West Johnson teams and the big time arms they had coming out of the bullpen. Burl Caraway is the latest one of that, and uh, so that's uh, that's a name to watch uh, over the next year. Now, Dave, I wanted to ask you about Fresno State. Uh, that's a team that that you were able to see early in the season when they uh, uh, played that series at Tennessee. They actually were one of the first teams to to kind of get to Tennessee a little bit, and they're now uh, in first place in the Mountain West, and they're they're coming off a, a big series win against San Diego State, a team that that has been kind of the the powerhouse in the Mountain West for I don't know the last five six years. It, it feels like and. Uh, Fresno State now uh, on the verge of, of upending them and, and getting back uh, to, to the top of that conference. What what stands out to you about this uh, this Fresno State team? Well, the first thing that stands out to me, Teddy, is was the confidence of their head coach Mike Basel. Uh They had started out slow when they were here in Knoxville and they they were playing that series. Their record wasn't very good. I can't remember exactly what their record was, but and they ended up losing two out of three. And but he was confident. He was real confident about his team. He he said, Dave, we've got a good team. He said, I really like our pitching. They gotta grow up some. We've got to get some innings for some guys. He liked his offense, the approach they had. 
Mike, uh, most of uh, Coach Batesell's teams have been more offensive than they have from the, the pitching standpoint. Loved his coaching staff. He had nothing but positive things to say, and I was really kind of set back a little bit because they were struggling at the time. But everything he was talking about, about everything going on with his team and the program, was in a, was in a, a, a positive way, and it, it's paying off for him now. He, he had kind of mentioned that, you know, they had, they had had some bad weather, you know, but I, I kind of look at a lot of people have bad weather at the start of the year, and he said they had just hadn't found – had a chance to find their groove as a team. They'd been rained out a lot of games they, and just had bad weather throughout the start of the season. And and um, he had kind of said that was one of the reasons why he felt they hadn't hit their groove. But sure enough, he's right on about it. And I think that, that kind of goes to show. I mean, he wasn't down on his guys. He was positive. He The glass glass was half full. And sure enough, it's paying off for them. And, and to me, they're – you know, they're a scary team. I mean, coach, again, I'm going to pray. Coach Spaceball's teams are usually tough. They're usually hard-nosed guys, and they're tough. And, uh, you know, I don't know if they make another run like they did in that miracle year they won the <laughs> national championship. But they'll, they will be a tough out in anyone's regional um, come uh, postseason. Yeah, they're, uh, they're looking for their first NCAA tournament appearance since 2012, and it looks very much like they're going to get that assuming they, uh, they they take care of business here down the stretch. And, uh, I mean, I would guess they're probably headed to Stanford. Um, and, yeah, the Cardinal probably not super enthused that Fresno State's going to show up in their regional, uh, if that is how it goes. Someone on the West Coast is going to get them, whether it's uh, Stanford or, or Corvallis or uh, maybe UCLA. But I, I would guess right now, I've been, I've been projecting them into the Stanford regional, and uh, that could be a fun matchup there. Uh, as the the Bulldogs get back into the NCAA tournament, uh, or as they look to do that for the first time since 2012. I wanted to, as we go into this uh, final week of the regular season for everyone, nearly everyone in the country outside of the Pac-12 and the Big West and the couple of conferences that are already into their tournaments, um, this, this is this is crunch time. This is, uh, you're down to just uh, one weekend left. And so I wanted to kind of run through some of these conferences and, and get us, uh, get our thoughts on who we think is going to end up as, as the conference winner. Uh, so we're going to start in the ACC uh, alphabetically. Louisville there leads Georgia Tech by two games, uh, Miami by two and a half. Miami still has to finish a series against Wake Forest tonight. So that's for the overall conference lead. That Louisville is probably not going to blow that. Uh, they finish with Florida State. Georgia Tech finishes with Pitt. Miami with Duke. Do, do either of you guys see Louisville uh, not winning the ACC? I, I don't. I mean, I, well, I see I see Louisville holding on. I mean, I just think that two games is a lot over one weekend. It means that something has to go very wrong for Louisville, and then someone else has to really kind of kind of jump on that. I just think two games at this point, and and betting on betting on Louisville to lose two series in a row seems like a a sucker's bet there. So I, I'm going with the Cardinals. And I likewise like the Cardinals too. I I think Louisville Louisville's done it more than anyone else. Like they had a little bit of a setback this weekend, but I think they they finished the job this weekend. So the more interesting ACC race then is the Coastal Division, where we have Georgia Tech uh, just a half game up on Miami again with the Canes playing, uh, and UNC uh, just one game back. Uh, UNC has NC State again. Georgia Tech has Pitt at home, and Miami has Duke. Uh, that one is is especially tight if Miami can win tonight. Miami holds the tiebreaker on Georgia Tech. So that one could be very interesting. And Pitt has become very feisty of late. They just won a series against North Carolina, and they won a game at Florida State the week before. So I'm not going to get picks on that because until we know what Miami is, I think that one is just too tight to call. But that is the ACC race to watch. It's, it's not the overall race. Louisville holding a pretty commanding lead right now. But the ACC Coastal, if – that may have some implications for the top eight. If Georgia Tech wins that, it strengthens their case. If uh, they finish behind Miami, it, it might ding them a little bit. And the margins for that top eight seed, of course, are, are going to be pretty tight. So it it may well be, you know, it, it would definitely behoove Georgia Tech to go out and do everything it can to to win the division, I would think. 
something else to watch there too is is Miami uh, getting healthier. I, th- I thought I saw that uh, McKendry and McMahon uh, will both be back for that final series. Uh, that's kind of been the thing that we've been watching with Miami, and they've been able to deal well with those guys being out. So with them being back in the fold for next weekend, um, I think it just kind of strengthens them even more um, and, and makes that something else to watch, especially if Wake Forest – uh, or if they can, you know, overcome Wake Forest tonight um, and kind of even things up, um, that makes it really kind of interesting thing to watch. Georgia Tech may not be fully healthy. Uh, obviously, Brent Herter is still out. Shavian Curry uh, missed a start again at Duke. That's two in a row for him. And Danny Hall told me last night that uh, he's they're considering him day to day, but they're kind of targeting the ACC tournament a little more than this weekend for his return. So they might be again without Ace Shavian Curry uh, against Pitt health this time of year as as important as anything else really so the big 12 this is probably the uh the race of the weekend Uh, the pac-12 is very interesting as well but they have an extra week big 12 will be decided this week baylor leading texas tech by a half game baylor finishes at oklahoma state texas tech at home against tcu dave do you think baylor can hold off texas tech or the red raiders too too red hot right now well the red raiders are hot uh, you know, obviously Baylor's coming off a week of, of obviously finals and everything, and that's always been a concern of mine. When you take a week off right in the middle of the season, how your team's going to – does it keep its momentum? Uh, you know, T, the, the Red Raiders are playing TCU that is playing for their lives. Whether they have a chance or not, they've got to get some wins and go deep in the tournament to, ever, to even have a chance. So that's always concerning. Uh, I, I kind of like Baylor to finish it off, but I think it's I think it's going to be a very interesting weekend in, in the Big 12. I, it's it's something that's going to be exciting to watch to see how it plays out. But obviously, on paper, I think I think Texas Tech probably is the strongest of, of the team, but they're going to have to do it on the field. I'm actually going to go the other direction. I think I think it's Texas Tech here. I just it's just a tough ask for Baylor to go on the road. Uh, to win that series against Oklahoma State because I, you have a lot of confidence that Texas Tech is going to win their series with TCU, even with TCU playing better baseball of late. And then so on the flip side of that, that means Baylor really needs to take care of business against the Cowboys, and that just seems like a, a tough thing for them to pull off. Yeah, the way Oklahoma State's playing right now has me scared, but I said like two weeks ago that I thought Baylor had won it, so I'm going to stick to that, and we'll see. Uh, but I am – I that's uh, – the way Texas Tech is playing right now has, uh, has has made that race very tight going into the final weekend, and uh, it's going to come down to the final day just like it did last year, and, and uh, it's going to be very interesting to see. Now in the Big Ten, we have Michigan, which just lost its series to Indiana, uh, but still leads the Hoosiers by a game and a half. There's a whole mess of teams two and a half games back, and if any one of them wins, something will have gone very haywire with both Michigan and the Hoosiers, so we're going to focus on indiana and michigan here uh michigan finishes at nebraska indiana at home against rutgers uh joe who do you got on the big 10 i'm gonna go michigan here um and that's a tough finish at nebraska nebraska coming off a big series winning against arizona state obviously uh but one and a half is a big margin to begin with and then also i mean you you have in your mind rutgers but this is not your father's rutgers i mean rutgers is has played pretty well this season in the Big Ten, and they've got a lot to play for. They're one of roughly, I don't know, 60,000 teams that have a chance to be in the Big Ten tournament this year. Um, you know, the standings, watching some of the games on BTN yesterday, uh, they'd show the standings every so often, and there's really, I mean, I think Penn State might be the only team uh, mathematically eliminated from being in the Big Ten tournament with three games left. That's pretty incredible. And so there's a lot to play for out there, and Rutgers is one of those teams right in the mix, 9-12 and 12 in the Big Ten. So I don't think Indiana is necessarily going to get uh, – it's not going to be the easiest time for Indiana to pull off that series win. So if you're going to tell me Rutgers is going to give them a pretty good series, I believe you. And, uh, you know, Michigan taking care of business against Nebraska, which I think they will, uh, would be enough for them to pull it off. I agree. I'm, I'm also for Michigan in this. I, I believe they'll pull it off. But I also agree it's going to be very tough against a Nebraska team that seems to be playing better baseball. Um, I, From my viewpoint right now, and they're, they're probably too far out of it, Probably the best team, the team that's playing the best right now in the in the conference is Illinois, and um, but I think Michigan ends up coming out on top in this. Yeah, I just don't see Michigan getting swept here, and I think if Indiana wanted to win this, they had their chance yesterday uh, when they had an extra innings game uh, with the chance to sweep the series in Ann Arbor, and that chance slipped slipped through them. 
And I, I think that that ultimately is going to be too much for them to overcome uh, this weekend. But with, with again, Joe mentioned it. Rutgers pitches very well. And that's not that's not a series that's just like an automatic sweep by any means, especially with what the, the, the Knights have on the table in front of them trying to make it to the Big Ten tournament for the first time, I believe, ever in the conference. Uh, so it's, uh, it's a big weekend there in the Big Ten. Now, the Pac-12, they do have two weekends left. So when we, when we do this, we have to keep in mind that they, they, they all still have six games left. Uh, but we have a three-way tie, UCLA, Stanford, and Oregon State. Stanford or uh, UCLA has already beaten Stanford and Oregon State, so it owns the tiebreakers. It finishes with Washington and then at Oregon. Stanford gets Oregon State at home this weekend in what might be the series of the weekend and then goes to Arizona State. Oregon State at Stanford and then home to USC. UCLA clearly, we think, is the best team on the board here. Can the Bruins finish the job and go win the Pac-12? Well, I, I think just looking at that, I think they probably have the easiest slate, and I'm not saying nothing's easy, but uh, out of the next two weeks of who they play, I think Stanford has the toughest uh, going to Arizona State and then playing uh, the Beavers. I think they've got the toughest of the three. Uh, you know, that I, I can't even imagine that offensive numbers are going to come out, of, especially this time of year at Arizona State with the heat, with those two offensive clubs. It's 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 going to be a battle, but I like the Bruins in this. I just think it with the tiebreakers a big deal. Teddy, as you mentioned, they've already got the tiebreaker, and I think with the final two weeks, they have the easier road uh, to finish this thing off. But it's a it's a great it's a great battle out there. It's three very good teams, three very deserving teams, and it's going to be exciting. They don't have a conference tournament, but their last two weekends are almost like a conference tournament the way it's set up right now. Yeah, I feel like the Pac-12 finish a lot of times ends up getting kind of short shrift just because they play their final series when everyone else is playing conference tournaments. And that kind of gets overshadowed because we're all kind of paying attention to conference tournaments typically. Um, I remember the year that Utah won it, you know, that was a big series for them to get into into a regional. And it felt like it, you know, kind of went a little bit under the radar, even though it was getting a, a good amount of attention. But it was just because, you know, when you put it up against every other conference tournament out there, it's, um, you know, just kind of tough. But um, I'm with Dave uh, in that I, I think UCLA is the team here. And I think the path is important. Um, you know, they've got Washington, which is a tough series, but they've got them at home. And they finish off with Oregon. And, and I hate to always say a team has nothing to play for because it, it kind of discounts intrinsic motivation that, like, these players don't want to go out there and embarrass themselves or lose games or make outs or give up runs, what have you. Uh, but with that said, I mean, Oregon's a team that, has uh, you know fallen off of late. It looks very likely that by that point they are going to be um, out of the running to get into a regional, barring uh, just a torrid comeback in their season. Um, so I think that path for UCLA ends up making a difference when you combine. You know, they're our number one team. We really believe in the talent. Obviously, the path is favorable, um, and they do have those tiebreakers. I just think that's a little too much evidence for me to feel altogether comfortable going with either Stanford or Oregon State. Yeah, I feel like UCLA probably finishes this out at with five and one, and they probably win it going away if they do that. So they uh, they only just got into this tie. They had been lagging behind Stanford and Oregon State the last few weeks here. With the sweep this weekend at Washington State, they were able to move into the, the three-way tie, and uh, the way they finish is, uh, as as you guys said, it's uh, it's the easiest path. So the way they're playing the way they have this set up for them and the tiebreakers, it, it feels feels like the Bruins will uh, will go out and, and, and get that Pac-12 title. Uh, so in the SEC, Vanderbilt leads Arkansas by one game. Georgia and Mississippi State are two games back. Vanderbilt finishes with Kentucky. Arkansas is at AM. Georgia has Bama. Mississippi State has South Carolina. Felt like Vanderbilt was going to clinch this. Like we could see it coming for a little while. It feels like that's going to happen. But Kentucky is feisty, and they don't get swept that often. And, and, and Zach Thompson is a big part of why. So, do do you guys think that there's any chance that that one of these other teams is able to catch Vanderbilt? I don't think so. I I, I agree with you. Kentucky is feisty, and it's actually especially when you have to face Zach Thompson one time in the weekend 
But I think that the game lead by Vandy right now is huge. I think that's going to be a great series between Arkansas and A&M. But, you know, as, you, as you're talking about this, there three of those teams in my mind, no disrespect to Georgia, because I think they're a very good team. But when you're talking Vandy, Arkansas, and Mississippi State, you're talking about three teams that are playing as good as anybody in the country. I mean, you know, we've talked a lot about UCLA and their consistency, but those three teams are playing at a high level right now. But I think with the, the game lead, who they've got, and who uh, Arkansas has, um, I think Vandy, Vandy uh, ends up on top when it's all said and done, heading into the tournament. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, for all the reasons you say, what's interesting though, like because Arkansas is playing so well, um, you know, Arkansas going to A and M, like I like their chances to win that series. A and M's offense is not one. You know, Doxakis has to be. You know, Doxakis and Lacey traditionally have had to be pretty close to to perfect a lot of times for A and M to kind of pull out some of these low scoring wins. Um, and when, you know, AM is not an offense that if they get behind is really well equipped to be able to kind of mount some of these comebacks. Um, so Arkansas feels like a decent matchup for AM, but you know, you're kind of in essence, even if Vandy gets, if Zach Thompson gets Vandy and, and Kentucky takes that game, you're really asking for Arkansas to sweep because Vandy has the tiebreaker with Arkansas and asking Arkansas to sweep at AM, uh, I don't know about that. So it just seems like a tough ask. If it was at, if it was in Fayetteville now, I think we might be talking. Um, but I, I think I am going to circle back and, and go with Vandy here. Uh, I just, I, you know, I like them to win at least two or three in a worst case scenario. And I think Arkansas probably wins that series too. So kind of status quo, Arkansas ends up one game up on the Hogs. Yeah, that, uh, that, that feels right. The, the tiebreaker is, is big there. The Vanderbilt winning that series in Nashville is, is probably going to loom large. Our bonus SEC, last team in the SEC tournament, we have Kentucky, South Carolina, Alabama are all tied going into the final weekend. I have a feeling the tiebreakers may very well come into this, and it's kind of convoluted if it happens. But I, if Vanderbilt wins the SEC and Kentucky wins one game this weekend, presumably with Zach Thompson on the mound, they would hold the tiebreaker because Vanderbilt has already swept both South Carolina and Alabama. So with that in mind, who gets the last spot, that 12th spot in the SEC tournament, Kentucky, Bama, or South Carolina? Dave, who do you think? Well, if you brought up the tiebreakers, I was aware of that. But I didn't know, I didn't know what those teams I, – I didn't have it in front of me what those teams had done – not knowing, knowing Kentucky was planning this weekend. My gut instinct tells me Alabama. I don't know why. I just have a feeling. I think uh, Brad Bohannon's done a good job with that club this year. They, they weren't expected to do much, and they're a young team. Uh, I, that's, just who, that's who, I, that's who I, my pick is, Alabama. No reason why. I think Kentucky has the advantage. Like you said, they win one game, and the other teams win one game. They're in. So I think they have the advantage. Um, uh, but I just feel going off what I just said a few minutes ago, I think Alabama is playing a very good team in Georgia, but Kentucky and South Carolina are playing two giants, as I talked about, in Mississippi State and Vanderbilt. Uh, two of the three that I talked about are just playing tremendous baseball along with Arkansas. So my, my gut tells me Alabama gets through this and, and ends up being the 12th seed. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a good choice there. That's, they bring up some interesting points, and I, I kind of had the same thought on Alabama, too. In large part because, I mean, they played A&M really well this past weekend. I mean, a couple one-run losses, they very easily could have won that series. And they're, I'm sure they're disappointed not to have. Um, but I'm going to circle back and go with Kentucky because I, I'm going to boil it down to this. What is the single best thing about any three of these teams? And I think the answer is Zach Thompson. Now, we're, we're putting a lot on that young man. <laughs> we sat here and talked about that being the single reason why we think they get a game. And now they're, you know, in, in turn get into the SEC tournament. But that guy's really, really good. Um, and even against a Vanderbilt offense, if he comes out dealing, uh, there's just not a lot you can do. Um, and I, I think I have more confidence in that single thing with Kentucky than I do about anything else. And, and Alabama has been a little bit frisky of late. So, um, and Dave's point is good too. And that Georgia is very, very good, but Georgia is not uh, Vanderbilt or Mississippi state. So especially with, you know, they've, they've been without Emerson Hancock, they've dealt with some of those injury issues. So they're maybe a little bit a compromised version of a very good Georgia team, but um, you know, it's, it's tough sledding for all three of those teams, but let's go with Kentucky. Let's go with the best pitcher on the board. And that's Zach Thompson. 
I really want to talk myself into Bama. Uh, and I can do that by, you know, saying that Georgia has the least to play for of any of these teams. Vanderbilt's playing for a number one overall seed. You know, Mississippi State is, uh, it, you know, wants to, to, to finish as, as strong as they can and, uh, you know, lock up that, that top eight overall seed. And I suppose Georgia, you can say the same thing of. But, um, you know, I, I feel like South Carolina is the easiest path in this, they have not been as frisky as either Kentucky or Bama has been lately. And I would love to see Bama get in just from a, you know, I want to see what Hoover looks like on Tuesday with Alabama playing. Uh, you know, they're going to bring way more fans to, to Hoover Met than Kentucky will for a Tuesday game. So, like, for all of those reasons, it would be great if Alabama finds a way to pull this off. But it is hard to go against the idea that if if Alabama can't beat Georgia in a series, that all Kentucky has to do is win the one game. They just have to match whatever whatever Bama does this weekend, and so that 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 puts Bama in a tougher spot, and it really means that they kind of have to win that series. So, I guess I'm going to go with Kentucky, but I, if uh, if it was Bama, if it is Bama, I I think that would be be a lot of fun especially that that tuesday night in in, uh, in hoover would be a, a little more a little more raucous uh which which is a good time can i bring up one uh kind of funny scenario that could happen zach thompson pitched last sunday for kentucky so the earliest i would guess that he will go with the thursday friday saturday series in the sec will be saturday because that'll still be one day earlier than his normal rotation if for some chance kentucky wins a game early in the series Thursday or Friday, and the other teams had not won a game going into the, the final day, Zach Thompson probably will not pitch Saturday. And guess what? The number five seed in the SEC tournament is going to have to face Zach Thompson in game one um, when they play Kentucky in, in uh, Hoover. That could happen if the scenario plays out like that. You know, I also would be okay with that scenario because uh, that would be a fun treat on Tuesday at the SEC tournament uh, for, for all the scouts that are there. I don't think the number five seed would be very excited about that potentially, but uh, that, that would be uh, that would be something. And, I mean, there there's always something at the SEC tournament. That would not be the first time such a, a, a thing was, was done. I remember Georgia holding Robert Tyler a couple of years ago um, as they were trying to, to get into the – trying to make a run at the SEC tournament to get into regionals. So we will yeah. see how that one plays out. And I got we got one more conference here. Uh, it is Joe's favorite conference. We got a conference USA. FAU, Southern Miss, they are tied. FAU has Middle Tennessee. Southern Miss has UAB. Joe, who is your conference USA champion? Well, I guess I can't just – come here and do a shoulder shrug, I guess. Um, That's kind of what we're left with, honestly. I mean, we've talked about this a little in our top 25 discussions where it feels like the team leading Conference USA should be ranked. I mean, traditionally that has been the case. Um, Now you have to earn it, and that's kind of been the problem. And it's not just been that these teams have have been bad. I mean, 19-8 and is not anything to sneeze at in terms of a conference record in a competitive conference like that. But it's that the series losses have been kind of spaced out to where, like, just when you start to feel pretty confident, like, okay, Southern Miss is going to run away with this league. And it it felt like that. Um, But then, you know, they've, they've lost two series in a row now. Um, you know, FAU and then, and then Rice, which was the more surprising one. Um, so I, hmm, give me FAU. Um, you know, they're, they're a little bit hotter right now. I think they, they were really kind of buoyed. You know, I, I, um, you know, had the chance to talk to, to John McCormick when they were at Western Kentucky and, and his team was very, I mean, he, he's one of the coaches who will kind of just tell you how he feels. And at the time he was like, look, we know where we're at. I mean, we've, we've got to hustle. <laughs> we're not going to get into the postseason if we don't hustle here. And I, I think it's safe to say they've been hustling. I mean, it started with, you know, win over Florida, but they've, they've taken care of their midweek games. They've, they've won series against Southern Miss um, and now UTSA. So, so give me the Owls. It feels like they're maybe playing better baseball at the right time of year, where Southern Miss just, you know, I don't want to be overdramatic about it, but it, it does feel like Southern Miss just a, has a, had a little trouble this season really kind of getting on track. And some of it's been, you know, they had injury issues. They didn't get quite what they expected from Matt Walner, particularly on the mound. They've had a little bit of trouble finding offense and pieces offensive pieces to fit around some of their tent pole guys like Walner and, and, and uh, Hunter Slater, guys like that. So um, 
FAU just inspires a little more confidence. But but again, I mean, they're both playing teams that are towards the bottom of the standings. They're both playing the series at home. Um, but FAU, again, to talk about tiebreakers, FAU has that tiebreaker. So if you're going to put them one game ahead and basically bet on one of these teams losing, a, you know, having to lose a series to give that or for, for FAU to uh, not win it, then let's go with the Owls. And I agree. I, I, I go FAU, too. I think, uh, uh, obviously, the tiebreaker, again, has a lot to do with it. Uh, I just feel that uh, Southern Miss has a little bit more of a challenge with UAB than maybe FAU does with MTSU. And uh, I, I, I like the Owls in this one also. The Golden Eagles are going for three straight Conference USA titles, but I think that FAU, I'm with you guys, I think they break it and they win their second Conference USA title, first since 2016. They, they've definitely been the hotter team down the stretch, and it feels like they, uh, they can finish it off here um, with, uh, with what would be a, a fantastic uh, few weeks stretch here and, um, you know, definitely secure. They're, they're already looking very good for the tournament, but that, that would very much secure the regional bid for FAU, I think. So we'll, uh, we'll be monitoring all of that and more. There's also a de facto Ohio Valley Conference uh, championship series this weekend uh, between Austin P and, and Jacksonville State. Uh, so plenty, plenty to watch uh, around the country this week. And uh, we will we will certainly be doing that. And, and you can follow along over at BaseballAmericaAmerica.com. Now is when we have reached the shout outs portion where we mention players or programs that we haven't really gone to, but are worthy of mention what they've uh, what they did over the last week. Uh, Dave, why don't you start us off? What, what do you have this week? Well, I'm going to go out. I'm, I'm not going to be Joe this week because Joe always has a very interesting concept to his shout outs. But. I'm going to go way outside the box, and I'm probably going to be accused of being a little sentimental. But uh, as we're getting closer to the end of the season, uh, last night I had the opportunity to go speak uh, at the University of Cumberland's in Williamsburg, Kentucky. Uh, they're opening up the, the regional of the NAIA um, run to their World Series. And I got to speak at the University of Cumberland's for Coach Brad Shelton's uh, team and the other teams in the bracket, Indiana Tech, uh, Lion of Arkansas, Mobile, Alabama, and Baker of Kansas. And it made me start to think last time on my way home as we were doing our talk is that we're, we're invested in Division One baseball. That's what we do at Baseball America, but we cover other sports too. But Division Two, II, Division Three, and NAIA are all having their, their playoffs starting up too. And I want to congratulate all the teams that, are, that have had a successful year. I want to wish them all the best as they go into their postseason and hopefully they all have a chance to play for a national championship at their respective divisions. But it was a pleasure to speak last night at the University of Cumberland's. Uh, it was a beautiful campus. I'd never, I'd driven by it a lot of times right off of I-75, but Coach Shelton's done a great job there, and I wish them and, and everyone in that bracket nothing but the best. And again, getting a little sentimental, uh, we talk a lot about top 25, regional hosts, uh, who's getting in. But I want to say congratulations to uh, something that's very important, and that's all the graduates this past week or graduates that will be coming up this week or maybe on a quarter system into June. Uh, being a college athlete is tough enough in, in itself with the time restraints and the time management, and to see many of these uh, young men and young ladies in the women's sports that walk across and get their degree is, is very important, the most important thing, and I want to congratulate every single one of them that have uh, finished the job and not only have competed at a high level on the field, but have competed in the classroom and uh, have done something that'll be wonderful for the rest of their lives. And on that note, I want to especially shout out to Will Neely, the right-handed senior pitcher at the University of Tennessee, obviously was a member of the, of the team when I was part of the coaching staff there. And Will, four years ago when he came on campus, my biggest fear about Will wasn't if he was going to help the program on the field, is if he was going to be able to get through school because school just didn't come easy to Will. Well, four years later, Will graduated on Saturday, and I want to give a huge shout-out to Will Neely. Not only during his four years did he have to grind in the classroom, but unfortunately he lost his mom, Janetta, two years ago uh, when I was still his coach to cancer. So not only did he have to struggle with his school not coming easy, but he lost his mom during the process. And I want to say congratulations, Will. And just like I told you, I'd be there when you got through it. 
I'm telling you right now, I'm very proud of you. A lot of guys grinding out there. That's a that's a fantastic story. Uh, thank you, Dave, and uh, congratulations to Will uh, for finishing that up. Um, you know this this uh, the spring. Joe, what uh, what do you got for us? Uh, first off, thanks to Dave for uh, um, acknowledging my shout outs as performance art. That's what it's <laughs> what I try to bring here is a, a performance aspect to them. You mentioned uh, Augie Isaacson, pardon me, from, from Dallas Baptist, and it reminds me that he went to a Friends University. You, know, you mentioned Friends University, which has to be, I remember the first time I saw that, I was like, what, what is that? And then I looked at it. It's just kind of one of the, uh, one of the most uniquely named colleges um, I think I could think of in the United States. And I live not too far from Washington University in St. Louis. Um, so I know a little something about D3 colleges with unique naming conventions. So I'm a proud um, owner of a WashU sweatshirt. Uh, that I don't wear as much as I used to when I started at Baseball America, but shout out WashU. Yeah, great school, really good. I mean, it's 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 a kind of a, a, a Ivy League level um, education uh, in St. Louis. Really sought after school, and and um, yeah, so fantastic school. But Fringe University and Washington University in St. Louis, two uniquely named uh, smaller colleges. Um, a baseball shout out to uh, Zach Green. Um, you know, there hasn't been a ton of attention paid to South Alabama this year. They Start off the season with a pretty big series against Clemson. Uh, they ended up losing that series and kind of went off the radar. And the Sun Belt's been uh, so topsy-turvy this year. And more on that in a second. But uh, Zach Green has just been killing it out of the bullpen uh, for the Jaguars. He's appeared 25 times. Uh, he's got 44 innings. Uh, his ERA is 061, 13 saves on the year. The most impressive number, though, 63 strikeouts and four walks in those 44 innings, holding opponents to a 173 batting average against. Um, the second part of that, though, is that South Al is playing a little bit better these days. Um, feels like they're kind of sprinting through the finish line. They Obviously, he's been a big part of that. He being Zach Green has been a big part of that success. Ethan Wilson, just a huge bat in the middle of the lineup, 17 home runs on the year. And in a year when the Sun Belt has been, uh, I use the word topsy-turvy, I mean, uh, there's been a lot of parity, you could put it that way. Uh, you know, Texas State is, is winning the league, and they are – if the season in a day probably would be an at-large team, um, even though their RPI is slipping a little bit, it, you know, it feels like it's really anybody's ball game in the Sun Belt tournament. And, you know, why not South Alabama? I mean, you've got an arm like that. They're playing well. They've, they've got some, some offensive pieces uh, to kind of work around. Um, so maybe this is one of those years where we don't see a team like this coming uh, and they kind of put it all together at the right time because it, it seems like a tough bet to pick any one of, of the teams in the Sun Belt tournament. It really feels like anybody's ball game in Mobile. Yeah, that's an interesting team. I I happened into them in Hattiesburg about a month ago, and uh, they uh, they've got some in intriguing pieces, and they've definitely gotten a lot hotter over the last month, I would say. And yeah, like you said, Sun Belt wide open, so why not South Al? Uh, because they are playing at a pretty nice level right now, and and that league is pretty wide open. Uh, I wanted to shout out. John Baker and Lucas Jackson, uh, two pitchers at Ball State. They combined to throw a no-hitter in the first game of a doubleheader uh, Saturday against Ohio. I was not aware of this. I thought I spent enough time looking at Ball State media guides during my college career to, that I would have known this, but it was the first nine-inning no-hitter in program history. So congratulations to uh, John Baker and Lucas Jackson. Uh, there at Ball State. I also want to mention East Carolina, which on Friday clinched the American regular season title. Uh, that's been a long time coming. They did it with five games to play, so obviously they've been uh, they've been absolutely dominating that conference. Uh, and they'll go in now to the final weekend with a six and a half game lead on Cincinnati and Tulane, who are tied for second place. It's the first time ECU has won a regular season title since they won Conference USA in 2009. And I know this is definitely something that was high on the, the goal list for, for the Pirates and, and for Coach Cliff Godwin this year. And so they've, they've checked that one off, and uh, now they're, they're um, rolling towards trying to be a top-eight national seed. And uh, we'll see if they're able to, to get that done here over the next couple weeks before Selection Monday. But uh, East Carolina having a, a special season there, and – I've just been thoroughly dominant in the American. And I also want to mention Samford, which clinched the SOCON title on Sunday night, uh, finishing off a sweep against Western Carolina 
First regular season conference title for Samford since 2006 when it was in the Ohio Valley. They go into the final weekend of the regular season, four-game lead uh, on Mercer and UNC Greensboro, which combined to win the last four conference titles. So Samford has upset the order a little bit there uh, on, on Mercer and UNCG. And uh, the Bulldogs last year went out and won the SoCon tournament and, and then uh, made some noise in the Tallahassee Regional. So we'll see if they're able to do that again. That's uh, that's an intriguing team that that's playing really well and is probably going to win 40 games this year. So great job by the Bulldogs and Casey Dunn down there at Samford. That brings us uh, to the end of this week's Baseball America College podcast. Uh, the fun does not stop here, though. You can go over to BaseballAmerica.com. We'll have plenty of content there throughout the week. Uh, you can check out the full top 25 there now, as well as my off-the-bat column. Uh, rounding up the, the weekend in college baseball, we'll have a new projected field of 64 on Wednesday, and then uh, we'll, we'll roll right into the, the weekend content. It's a short week for a lot of teams with, uh, with them starting on Thursday before conference tournaments get going uh, here in, in a week. So make sure to check all of that out over at BaseballAmerica.com. Make sure you are subscribed to the podcast. Uh, and if you have the time uh, and, and the desire to give us five stars, it would be great if you could rate and review us. It's a great way to help other people find the podcast. And you can follow us on Twitter, uh, where we will have more college baseball thoughts at all times of night, especially if you follow me. Uh, I am at Ted Cahill. Dave is at Dave Serrano 11 and Joe is at Joe underscore on underscore sports. We will be back here next week for another edition of the Baseball America College podcast. Until then, uh, thanks to Joe, thanks to Dave, and thank you for listening.